Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumpacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Good home. Knocked down by Pollock in front of the net. Lee to Barzell, back to Lee. Barzell breaking, uses the glove. Matt Barzell cutting in, and he scores! Oh, what a goal for Matt Barzell! Islanders country, hello. This is P.T. Isles, the Duck the Halls edition. I'm Isles Boggs, Joe Bono. A reminder, you can subscribe to this show and every Lighthouse Hockey podcast on iTunes. Please rate and review, or find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, are over at LighthouseHockey.com. Lighthouse Hockey, your SB Nation home for your New York Islanders coverage. Coming up, we'll talk about the Cal Clutterbuck injury, the end of the goalie rotation, what appeared to be a statement win in Boston, and I'll give my unpopular opinion on the retiring of the Tonelli and Goring numbers. But first, the Islanders fall 6-5 in a shootout to the Anaheim Ducks, the Western Conference worst team. The Ducks sweep the season series with the Islanders, shutting them out on the West Coast and winning a high-scoring affair on Saturday afternoon at the Coliseum. This marked the first time the Islanders lost under Barry Trotz when scoring four goals or more. They're now 38-0-1, and the Islanders stunningly have now allowed 13 goals in their last two home games. But Barry Trotz not sounding the alarms and felt that this game had a different feel than the 8-3 loss to Nashville. The Nashville game was an—it's an outlier. It was whatever we did; it just ended up in the back of our net. It went onto their sticks. You know, we'd block a shot and go right to the open guy. It was one of those nights. This one was just a lot on us, where we could manage it better. Uh, we didn't manage it as well as we could, um, but we did—you know—we did a lot of good things. I mean, um, created a lot of chances. Our power play um, got two big goals for us. Our penalty kill 
came up big after the, the first period. They, you know, they got it tied up, and we, we had the coaches challenge. We're going on, we're going to kill a penalty one way or the, or the other. So, um, you know, and that actually, that, that penalty kill actually, I thought, gave us some momentum after that. It, it, it took something away from them. So, um, from a special team, uh, team standpoint, uh, we were fine. Our five on five was fine, except some decision making at the inappropriate times. So Barry, happy with the team's five-on-five five play. Just felt that there were just some poor decisions that were made, um, especially when they had some momentum going on in the game. So things they just obviously have to clean up. But you hate giving up these type of points to teams lower in the standings. And um, it's very unusual situation for the Islanders to be in um, if you've been following this franchise like I have for a quarter century or more. But uh, they have actually been playing down to their competition as you when you look at who they've lost to. In the, in the last month or two. Uh, Matt Barzell's line in particular on Saturday created a ton of chances and probably left a goal or two out there. Barzell scored his 15th goal of the season on an absolute beauty of a play, uh, gloving the puck down and then bursting out on the breakaway, finishing on the backhand. And as I tweeted out, he did not collect his 15th goal until the 52nd game of the season last year. He does it in game 34 here in 2019. Uh, you, you remember, you went on a big-time drought after that. He only finished the season with 18 goals, did Barzell last year. So 15 goals, uh, a little bit more than a third of the way into the season. Here was Barzi after the game. I thought there was a lot of positives tonight offensively. thought did a lot of good things. Our power play, um, you know, stepped up and, and scored some big goals. And, you know, some nights, uh, you know, that's going to happen. Varley's been a rock for us all year, and it was unfortunate. Um, again, it just felt like... You know, we'd have a couple of good plays, and then you know they'd they'd, they'd get one play and it'd be in the back of the net. So that's the way she goes sometimes. You know, every game kind of presents itself with a different situation. I thought Boston was pretty tight checking, and tonight was a little more loose. And thought thought we bared down and played both both styles pretty well. And um, it's nice to score early. That's that's a big thing. Scoring early, uh, you know, gets you into the game right away. So. But uh, no, I think I think Lizzie's doing a great job winning battles and, and being being big in front of the net. And me and Ebb's kind of playing a little give and go game. And um, it's unfortunate we didn't we didn't have more tonight. I thought we thought we could have had you know four or five. So um, I guess you can kind of build off that. And this was the 200th career game for Matt Barzell. It also was the 200th career game for Ryan Pulak. Both had a goal um, during this matinee, and, and they've actually played together for the last 161 games of that 200, certainly both very big parts of the Islanders' present and future. Uh, Nick Letty also had a big game on defense. He had three points in this game, and this is a bit of a strange stat. He scored three points in the game three separate times this year, but only has 14 points on the year. So nine of his 14 points have come just in three games um, up and down the score sheet, the Islanders put up a lot of points. Seven different Islanders actually recorded a multiple-point game on Saturday. It's the first time that has happened since February 13, 2011 in Buffalo in a game the Islanders won 7-6. Michael Grabner picked up an overtime goal in that one. But despite the individual success of Barzell, his line mates, and Nick Letty and others, Barry Trotz made it clear individual stats is not what this team is about. That line... You know that line was flying. They were creating some stuff, but they're also, you know, they uh, they each had two, three points, but they're minus two. That's you know, you know, we're in the winning business, not in the points business. So Barry Trotz not missing an opportunity to point out the plus minus of some of his offensive stars 
in yesterday's game. And I think what made uh, the performance against Anaheim a tad more disappointing is that, you know, sandwiched in between this loss and the Nashville game, the Islanders had what many considered to be a statement win in Boston on national TV Thursday night, 3-2 in the shootout, and they just were unable to back that up with another win. Here was the captain, Andrews Leo, not being able to build off that momentum. You always try to build off each game, right? So um, you obviously try to build off Boston and, and come in here and have a good game. We had a pretty good start. Uh, power play came up huge, tying it up a couple times, and had some pretty good kills. We just, uh, like I said, the 5-on-5, five five, we really controlled a lot of the play, but when we made that mistake, uh, they, they, they put one in. And this was a game where you know, the team gives up a goal early in the first two minutes, but they really settled down defensively. In fact, both teams only had 10 shots after two periods. Johnny Boychuk with a big goal in this game and an assist on the Matt Barzell tally that gave the Islanders a 2-1 lead. A funny exchange on Twitter on the Boychuk goal. His brother David you know, took a shot at him pretty much saying it was a weak celebration. Uh, that Johnny gave, and Robin Leonard, who still follows the team, obviously, and follows individual players and ex-teammates, uh, yes, also chimed in saying that it was, in fact, very disappointing. Uh, but the Islanders, you know, couldn't keep themselves out of the penalty box. They gave a very good power play, many chances. Bruins had 16 shots in that third period and ultimately were able to tie the game on a five-on-three, but the Islanders secured the point, and then beautiful goals in overtime by in uh, the shootout by Jordan Eberle and Matt Barzell. And it was uh, Semyon Volomov Volar- coming up big in the shootout to pick up the win. Uh, Volomov actually had not only that performance in the shootout, but had probably the save of the year, maybe not just for the Islanders, but for the, all the NHL with a glove save. And if you haven't seen the photo of Johnny Boychuk's reaction as the puck is in his glove, uh, go out and check it out online. Uh, that was a game-saving uh, type of save. Scott Mayfield also had a big defensive play in this game uh, to break up what would, would, would have been a tap-in goal. And I think that performance um, by Varlamov actually led to the goalie rotation finally ending at 33 games. It's something the Islanders have done since the very, very start of the year, the longest uh, such streak in Islander history. And uh, that did stop with this game um, against the Anaheim Ducks. And, and unfortunately for Varlamov, may have had his worst performance of the year um, so we would expect that Thomas Grice would be back in that uh, Monday when the Islanders host the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, you know, interestingly enough, something I did not know is that Varlamov has the highest save percentage in shootouts, best uh, in the NHL among goalies who have faced at least 100 shots. And Thomas Grice is the best among those goalies that have faced 75 shots. So the Islanders are set up very well in net when it comes to the shootouts, this loss against Anaheim notwithstanding. And another stat I had no idea about, the Islanders are now 82-64 all-time in shootouts. They have the most shootout wins in NHL history. Um, <laughs> and uh, the teams behind them, Pittsburgh and the Rangers, are 79-77. and, and 77. So interesting, that, interesting stats there. You, I don't know you're so nervous in these shootouts, but if you think back, you think back on it, especially with the success the Islanders had during the Fran Nielsen days and how good he was in shootouts. Maybe not as surprising as it should be that they have the most shootout wins in the NHL. Some other things coming out of that game in Boston and this game against the Ducks. The Islanders now are 18-3 and one against the East this year and 12 and one 
against the Atlantic Division. They had 12 wins against the Atlantic Division all of last season, but they've really struggled against the Western Conference, which, you know, a couple seasons ago, back-to-back years, Islanders dominated the Western Western Conference teams, especially when they came um, to Brooklyn and played at Barclays Center, just 5-5-2 five, five, and two against the West thus far. Um, also coming out of this game in Boston was the injury, of course, to Cal Clutterbuck. Uh, Patrice Bergevon skate coming up accidentally and slicing um, Cal, Clutter, Cal Clutterbuck's wrist. Really scary. Andy Graziano tweeted out a photo of it, and it definitely looked like a clean cut, but, man, was it gruesome and could have been much, much worse. Here is quickly Lou Lamarillo addressing the media yesterday morning on the Cal Clutterbuck injury and surgery. Cal Clutterbuck uh, did have an operation. Um, Cal Clutterbuck uh, did have an operation uh, yesterday to just repair uh, a couple of little pieces. Uh, the cut was clean, uh, no complications. We're just going to say out indefinitely. Uh, he's fine. Uh, it was in and out. It wasn't something that he had to stay overnight about. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of time when uh, you know it heals. So uh, that's all I have to say about it. I'm not a doctor, but all I know is it was 100% successful. He will be back uh, this season. Uh, time frame, uh, it depends upon the healing process. So Cal Clutterbuck down. He will heal. The surgery was successful. He'll come back. We just don't know when. Right now, he's out indefinitely. And this impacts the team on a couple of fronts. Uh, number one, obviously, the fourth line of Clutterbuck, Sezikis, and Martin. Uh, they're not as strong when they're not all together. Um, so someone else is going to obviously have to slide in there, whether it's Komarov, whether it is Ross Johnson to play alongside those two, or maybe uh, Barry Trotz shuffles the deck even more so. So you lose something there. The Islanders tend to be right now a little heavy on the top two lines. And then the third line, they're trying to find consistency. You always had kind of the identity of the team with that fourth line. That's going to now take a hit for, for quite some time. And, you know, we've seen this play out um, over the course of the last couple of years. Matt Martin obviously missed, missed some time earlier this, earlier this season. Casey Zizekas has been um, injured from time to time. So um, this isn't anything that hasn't happened before, but obviously the team is strong when those three guys are all together. Plus, Cal's a reliable penalty killer. Um, so he's not going to be available in the penalty kill. And that means you're going to have situations where guys like Brock Nelson are going to have to play more on the penalty kill. And, obviously, and they also are getting a lot of five-on-five time. Um, and then, you know, if there's a chance where he or Sezikis are the ones that end up in the penalty box, then that is really putting pressure on some of the other players to step up on the penalty kill. But, you know, people have experience there. They're just going to have to step up and be in, in a more prominent role, most likely, on the PK. And then the other interesting part of this is who the Islanders recalled, which was Andrew Ladd came up yesterday, did not play yesterday, but early indication is when they looked at the lines in the practice here on Sunday is that he may get a look on Monday's game. So it could be the return of Andrew Ladd uh, to the Islanders lineup um, on Monday against the Columbus Blue Jackets, or maybe a little bit later on in the month, but he's here. And you'd have to think that Barry Trotz is going to find a way to get Andrew Ladd in the lineup. And, you know, anything you get out of Andrew Ladd, I feel like is a bonus, you know, can he recapture some of what the Islanders thought they were getting when they signed that seven year deal? If they do, uh, that'll put them in great, great shape. When we come back, I'll give my view on the decision to retire the real JT and the real 91. You're listening to P.T. Isles on the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back. P.T. Isles, Joe Bona with you, Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. And now I want to give you my unpopular opinion when it comes to the Islanders' announcement earlier this week that they will be retiring John Tonelli's 27 and Butch Goring's 91, February 21st for John Tonelli and Butch's a few days later on the 29th. And let me first say that both of these players are on the cusp of being in the NHL Hall of Fame, had wonderful careers, tremendous contributions to the Islander dynasty. Tonelli, obviously the past, Tonelli to Nystrom, he scored the uh, goal that gave them a 15-game winning streak in 1982. He helped them avoid elimination at the hands of the Pittsburgh Penguins with a game-tying and overtime winning goal that kept the dynasty alive. Uh, probably if I was watching that team at the time, John Tonelli would have been my favorite player just with the emotion and the grit and the determination that he played with. I understand all of that. Um, Butch Goring, the missing piece, traded for in March of 1980, wins the Conn Smythe the next year. Didn't play with the Islanders a long time, about six seasons, um, but certainly four Stanley Cups and a vital part of that team. Uh, guy that played both ways, was able to score, play defense, and obviously the contributions later on. You know, a short stint as Islander coach, uh, that probably we want to forget. But, you know, with that roster, he, he really didn't have much of a chance. And then obviously most recently, you know, the lovable sidekick of Butch, of uh, Brendan Burke and Howie Rose um, on the Islanders telecast for MSG. So I understand that both of them, when you look at kind of their complete book of worth, are they deserving? Sure. But for me, every team across all sports, not just the Islanders in the NHL, have set what their bar is for retiring numbers. And I felt like I knew what the Islanders' bar was because for now so many years, you look up to the rafters at Nassau Coliseum or Barclay Center and you see 5, 9, 19, 22, 23, 31. And all of them obviously won all four Stanley Cups, all of them are in the Hall of Fame, with the exception of Bob Nystrom. But Bob Nystrom played his entire long career with the Islanders, was part of the original 1972-73 team, scored the biggest goal in franchise history, the Stanley Cup winner in 1980, was nicknamed Mr. Islander, and they have a Bob Nystrom award that they hand out to the players each and every year. So to me, a worthy exception. I'm not saying you need to be a Hall of Famer, and to have one cups to have your number retired. But 40 years later, when stats have not changed, to then say, well, we're going to open this up for something that was long overdue. And even though John Tonelli and Butch Goring are people that you can make an argument belong in the NHL Hall of Fame, you look at their Islander tenure and how long it was, for Butch a, a little bit shorter than Tonelli, and maybe that was part of the reason why this did not happen for John Tonelli was because 
of how things ended uh, with the Islander organization, with his with his holdouts, and then eventually uh, getting traded to the Flames. And the Islanders had to play the Flames. I think that that same day, the day that he got traded at the end of the deadline that season. Um, but I just they're, they're just a hair below what the previous bar was to me. To me, a lot of people may not agree with that, and that's fine. Certainly, when you look at Tonelli's numbers, a hundred point season, a ninety point season, um, made a couple All Star games during that period of time, was great in the Canada Cup, um, and obviously we talked about the big goals he had. Uh, he's probably statistically a little bit ahead of it, and you know there were years, three, four, five years ago, I remember fans. Uh, putting out petitions to get 27 retired. I had the same feeling at it, but there was a lot of support for it. So I'm less surprised about Tonelli on the merit of the stats than Butch. And I, listen, I think, again, nothing against Butch Goring and what he meant and still does to this organization. But if if a couple of factors don't happen, I don't think Butch Goring's number is getting retired. One, if John Tavares is still on this team and wearing 91 – this is not happening. Um, certainly, after he left and the way he left, there was a swell of 91 belongs to Goring and people taking off the Tavares name off their sweaters and either putting Goring there or putting tape over it and writing Goring and the momentum built for that. And, of course, the other factor is is that he's introduced himself to a long lineage of Islander fans now as the color analyst that is a extremely likable guy a funny guy, you know, the way he pronounces or mispronounces names and everything is just, you know, makes you smile. And uh, he's a bit of a homer at times, and that's okay. We like that too. Um, so there is other different factors away, you know, and I think Brendan Burke put out a great tweet that not to make this about anyone else, right? Not to make this about this being kind of a knock on Tavares or a diss at Tavares by doing this and raising the 91. And I'm not. I'm just saying that if these other things did not happen, I'm not so sure that his number is getting retired on February 29th. Maybe it still is, but it, to me it would be hard to imagine if, if certain things didn't play out differently. One, JT leaving, and the other one being Goring being such a big part of the franchise still um, as the analyst. Now, listen, that is all part of the reason why you retire a number within an organization. It can be contributions that are felt beyond the ice. But if that's the case for me, this now opens up for the Islanders debates about other players. And to me, there's always been a way to honor Islander legends without having to go full-blown and retire their number. And that is the Hall of Fame, which has been completely mishandled. So right now you have Patrick Flatley in the Islanders Hall of Fame, Kenny Johnson in the Islanders Hall of Fame. You know Butch Goring's not in the Islanders Hall of Fame? You know, John Tonelli's not in the Islanders Hall of Fame. Pat LaFontaine's not in the Islanders Hall of Fame. And for Tonelli and Goring, their numbers are going to be retired. Maybe they'll just put them on the banner as well and do that simultaneously. I do not know. But if that Hall of Fame is going to have any credibility to it, they got to they got to fix that, certainly. Um, and then you look at some other players that may be deserving. Look at Bob Bourne's numbers and the contributions he made to this team for so long. I, I tweeted it out. In the four Stanley Cup years, Bob Bourne had better offensive statistics than John Tonelli or Butch Goring during either of those runs. He had 28 points the final year the Islanders won the Stanley Cup in 1982-83, um, but did not get the con, con Smythe that went to Billy Smith, much deserving. 
But, you know, and obviously his speed was unchallenged uh, during that era of hockey, known as the fastest uh, player uh, for the Islanders and maybe the league, you know, rightfully so in the Islanders Hall of Fame. Pat LaFontaine is another one. Now, I understand how Pat LaFontaine left the Islanders, and his number is actually retired by the Buffalo Sabres. But you know what? The Buffalo Sabres have not won Stanley Cups. So when you don't win Stanley Cups, you can lower the bar to a point where Pat LaFontaine, who you know, played less than 300 games with Buffalo, gets his number retired. But you look at that period from 1984 through 1991, Pat LaFontaine was one of the best players in the NHL. And you look at his career stats, he had the most seasons that he played with the Islanders. He scored more goals and had more points with the Islanders than he did in Buffalo. Now, he had one extreme, crazy 140-point season with the Sabres, where he was playing with Alexander Mulgilney, and I think finished third in the Hart Trophy, and that was his best overall season. But he is the middle, he's the person, the linchpin between the dynasty years and really the you know, the next era of Islander hockey in the, in the 1993 team and so forth is, is Pat LaFontaine, who's a Hall of Fame type player, still lives on Long Island. Um, he, the Islanders did bring him back um, a few seasons ago during the final season of Nassau Coliseum. So do you wonder if Pat LaFontaine's number goes out there? I also mentioned guy, someone like Ed Westfall. So if you're going to give the contributions that Butch has made as a color analyst and put that in his favor for getting his number retired. Now listen, I know Ed Westfall never won a cup. He retired a year early, but he was on the original team, picked in the expansion draft, the team's first captain, scored the team's first goal, led them to the playoffs in 1975, led them to finishing atop of the standings in the late 70s, only to get their hearts broken in the playoffs. But he was a major part in developing the players that ultimately would get over the top and have the Islanders win a Stanley Cup. So do they look at Ed Westville? I don't know. So probably not. Probably this will be the only two names they retire for a period of time. But now there's a debate because once you start lowering that bar, even if it's a little bit, even, I'm not saying it's a huge drop to get John Tonelli's number retired next to everyone else. But once you lower it a little bit for that error, for that group of players, now other names are in the discussion. That's all. And if I look at other teams in New York and I go, who has done it the right way, who has done it the wrong way, you look at the Yankees. And listen, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, sure. But Ron Guidry, Jorge Posada, Reggie Jackson, you know, I know he won two World Series and had three home runs on three swings. But I know when that happened, people were scratching their head a little bit as well. So it feels a little oversaturated with the Yankees, and I just don't want that happening um, with the Islanders. Um, Other teams, you know, the Giants. The Giants have a bunch of players, if you look back, at their, their retired number list that uh, played in the 30s and 40s and 50s that most Giant fans have maybe never even heard of. But in the, in the modern-day football with the Giants, Phil Simms, Lawrence Taylor, Harry Carson is in the NFL Hall of Fame, does not have his jersey retired by the Giants. You know, someone like Carl Banks, who's now up for the Hall of Fame, uh, does not have his 50, number 58 retired by the Giants. To me, this would have been the equivalent of Retiring Justin Tuck and O.C. Humanura's numbers, if you're the Giants, when I look at Tanelli and, and Goring. Again, this is me. doesn't have to be you. You completely disagree with that. But that's the way I feel about it. Or like if the, if the Knicks had won the 94 um, championship and won that game seven against Houston, would Charles Oakley and John Starks' numbers be retired? 
Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, so listen, it's going to be a great couple nights in, in late February, the 21st and 29th. Everything that Tonelli and Anders Lee said about the number 27 was great, was pitch perfect, uh, that it's their number. Um, Anders feeling that it's an honor to wear Tonelli's number. He's the real 27. Um, our friends over at Offside Tavern put out a great tweet with Tonelli, um, which I don't know if that'll be the way it shows up, but maybe it does have 227 retired down the road. I think certainly if Anders Lee plays out his whole contract with the Islanders and they have good team success, there's a good chance that that number gets retired. And I kind of half joked about it, but watch out for number 12 going to the rafters or at least being in the Islanders hall of fame. If they get that straight with the kind of career Islander career that Josh Bailey has been able to put together as well. So that's it. I'm done. Don't have to fret about it. I'm not angry about it. I'm not dying on a hill. As some people said on Twitter, it's just my preference when it comes to these things. I wasn't happy when the Mets decided to retire Jerry Kuzman's number because it's just been this way for so long. There's something weird for me that they're going to have to bring back someone in the, his mid-70s to get this honor when he hasn't played since the 1970s and none of those stats changed. So you can say they've loosened things up now and now all of a sudden, you know, for the Mets, is that going to mean Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter and Strawberry and Gooden and these players may get the numbers retired? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But to me, it's the, it's the greatest honor that you can bestow on a player is to get your number retired. That's the biggest honor that a franchise can give a player. And I just think it should be you know, extremely exclusive and limited. And if that means that players, the calibers of the John Tinellis and Butch Gorings don't have their numbers retired, but are honored in a Hall of Fame, to me, that's the preference. That's my preference on how it would be handled. I don't decide to go in a different direction. Either way, it's going to be a great night. I'm ecstatic for both of these, both of these men. I'm sure the nights are going to be great. The speeches are going to be great. And um, I'm sure Islander country mostly disagrees with me. And, that, and that's okay, too. So that'll do it for this episode of PT Isles. The Islanders are back on home ice against the Columbus Blue Jackets on Monday. And then they return back from the holiday break on Friday in Chicago. We'll see if old friend Robin Leonard is between the pipes for the Blackhawks. Don't forget the Isles Buzz podcast is hosting a live show at the Offside Tavern on January the 4th. That's before the Islanders Maple Leafs game, so that should be a lot of fun. And our next show, I will be revealing the top five playoff and regular season games of the decade as chosen by you. Thank you so much, everyone that has completed the surveys and ranked the games. I'm excited about unveiling the results. For all of us with Lighthouse Hockey and myself for the PTIs podcast, happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Islanders country. We'll talk to you next week. Good night. 